and welcome to The Animated Journey, a podcast featuring interviews with animation professionals working in television, film, and games. I'm your host, Angela Ensminger, and I have to say, where has the summer gone? We are already halfway through August. It's crazy. You know, all the summer movies are winding down. We have a couple more that have come out lately. The Little Prince came out on Netflix. It's doing really well. Super excited about that. Pete's Dragon just came out. Heard it's very good. Looking forward to seeing that soon. Kubo and the Two Strings is now out. Going to be seeing that soon. And Sausage Party was released over the weekend. Two rave reviews and really good box office numbers. It's doing really well, but there is controversy surrounding the film. Allegedly, the Canadian production company in charge of animation, Nitrogen Studios, used intimidation and scare tactics to keep from paying animators overtime and also for the animators that blew the whistle on the situation and complained, their names were not released in the ending credit sequence for the film. So this is a really big deal. There's a letter that went out in December to the studio. So this is a really big deal. All of the major news outlets are reporting on this. Cartoon Brew, The Hollywood Reporter, Variety, Los Angeles Times, Collider, and many, many more. So more news as it develops. I'll make sure to keep tabs on the story and find out what's going on and find out if these allegations are true because this is a really big deal and this could possibly lead to the unionization of animators in Canada which would be a really good thing because it would help prevent abuses like this if this proves to be true. And stories like this, unfortunately, are not uncommon. This happens here in LA. This happens everywhere where animators work. I have heard of people being intimidated using tactics like this before. It's really sad. So we'll find out what happens. I will let you guys know on Facebook and Twitter as more stories develop. I'll make sure to send out that information and I'll make sure to follow up next week in next week's podcast and we will see what happens with this story. And now on to our main event which is today's episode. This is episode 25 and I am really excited you guys to bring you Today's guest, Steve Ahn, who is a director for DreamWorks Television Animation's Voltron Legendary Defender. Steve and I had a wonderful conversation. He is a really great guy. He has a super inspiring story. I know that all of you are going to love hearing what he has to say today. It was a blast getting to interview him. I have to say, I'm a big fan of his work. Big fan of all the different shows that he's been working on. So it was a real honor to get to talk to him. So without further ado, on with the show. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Steve Ahn. Now, Steve is a veteran in the animation industry. His credits include The Cleveland Show, Generator Rex, Ben 10 Omniverse, Legend of Korra, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and the brand new reboot of Voltron, which is now on Netflix. You can watch all 13 episodes. Steve is a director on that show, and he also storyboarded an episode of the show. Steve, thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure. Yes, and it's a great honor to get to talk with you. I'm really looking forward to the interview, and I have a lot of questions about your life and your experiences and all the fantastic shows that you've worked on. And I always like to start the interview with an origin story. 
So let's get into your origin story. Now, you are originally from South Korea. Uh, where in South Korea are you from? I'm originally from Seoul, but I moved all around a lot in South Korea. I probably moved close to 20 times to country cities, and I ended up living in Seoul. Uh, that was uh, my last destination in, in South Korea. So I was born um, in this, this homeland I've actually never been. It's like this really small town on the, on the east of South Korea mountains. So I was born there, and yeah, that's, that's, how I, that's where I'm from. Excellent. And I know also that uh, as a kid, you were fascinated with animation and you actually saw Voltron when it first premiered in television, when it was dubbed in Korean, and that you were also a big fan of a lot of other shows, you know, like Dragon Ball and whatnot. What was it that attracted you to those shows as a kid? So when I was in Korea, it was in between late 80s and early 90s. When I was living in countryside uh, in South Korea, we didn't have Nintendo or we didn't have cable. We just had three channels of TV broadcasting. So I think back then, my experience on cartoon shows are, you know, it was really huge things to my entertainment to me and to my life. I think unlikely from today where we, we could access entertainment anytime through our phone or Netflix or internet or cable and you know, a bunch of other accesses. Back then, I only had TV and my family wasn't that wealthy. So they actually, I never really had chance to go theater to watch any other you know, a animation or movies. So back then, there were a lot of imported animated shows from Japan. So obviously, I had a huge influence by, you know, a lot of Japanese anime. And I feel very fortunate about it because back then, you know, I was able to watch a lot of Miyazaki TV shows like Future Boy Conan. And there were a lot of great contents, you know, great 80s Japanese anime. You know, Macross is, you know, probably one of them. Um, I first watched Voltron when probably close to 93. There was a, they imported, not the Japanese one, not the Goliath, but they imported American version of Voltron. So that was the first time I watched Voltron. So yeah, I mean, obviously there were some American cartoons like Mickey Mouse or um, there were a few, but obviously I was very drawn into all these anime contents from Japan. And I meant to ask you this earlier, but um, what led you and your family to move around throughout Korea? Were, were your parents working on different things or were you going to just various schools? So my father was a Christian pastor and because he, when he transferred into different churches, we had to move away. And I think back then 
in eighty late eighties, there were a lot of development in South Korea. So a lot of old houses were torn down and a lot of new houses were built. So I think because of environment, living in that environment, I remember clearly like I was living in this very traditional old Korean houses a couple of times, but we had to move out to apartment because they were tearing them down. So, you know, there were many factors back then because of, you know, development going on in South Korea and because of, you know, my father's career and job. All right. Very good. Very good indeed. And so you had a chance to move around, seeing different things. You were influenced by animation coming from other countries and getting to watch other shows. So what was it that made you realize this is a job that I can have. This isn't something that I can just watch and just sketch, but I can also be a part of the animation industry. In South Korea back then, working in animation wasn't treated as a good career. I mean, you probably know, but South Koreans have very higher education expectation from every, you know, parents. So, you know, obviously my parents expected me to go to some, you know, good university to study some, you know, I don't know, history or an engineer or, you know, something that non-art related. And back then, when Korean parents think about art, they always thought of it as a fine art. You know, today we, when we think about art, you know, we could think about, we picture many different paths that we can take, like graphic design to films or dance or music. But back then, being an artist is like low pay, socially lower class. There's no vision. There's no money. So most of Korean parents hate it when their children say they want to be an artist. So I think growing up in that very academic education environment, I never pictured myself, I'll be an animator someday. But I always loved watching cartoon shows and reading Dragon Ball or Slam Dunk, you know, those great Japanese comic books and some Korean comic books. I always loved them, but I never pursued them as my career. And as I grow older, I remember watching this very lame, you know, very low quality Korean feature film. But it really pounded my heart. And just when I was watching that film, I asked myself, I really want to be a person who's making that. But I thought, I thought myself back then, but then my parents will not allow it. So I kind of kept I don't think I ever tried to have it as a dream. I think when I decided I'll be an artist, it happened in America, actually, after I immigrated when I was 14. How did your parents respond when, when you moved here and you decided, this is something that I can do, this is a profession that I could have? Because, you know, my parents are not rich businessmen or wealthy family. 
they were scared because they there's no way they could afford me to go to you know very expensive private art college and they were scared that being an artist it's not a good career choice so we had a you know really long fight you know when i was a teenager so it was kind of a little bit tough so when i even got into calarts i think there were my parents still weren't sure if this is the right thing for me what eventually helped them change your change their mind was it after you graduated from school or was it when you started working that they saw oh this is a viable career option and you know our son's doing really well i think i kind of tricked them in the beginning <laughs> oh no uh, what did you do like Cal- oh calars is you know built by disney and if you go to that school you can work at disney they totally believed in it obviously i haven't worked at disney yet <laughs> but i think you know eventually they became happy because after uh graduation you know i started to build a career in this industry and they they saw me doing well so i think eventually it worked out well for everyone and for me that's great and let's talk about calarts now the majority of our listeners are familiar with calarts but for those who are not calarts is here in valencia california it's an excellent school. It's actually the first school in the country to offer animation as something that, you know, you can learn in school. And like you said, it was started by Walt Disney. So what did you do in terms of classwork and your portfolio so that you could get into CalArts? So I started drawing when I was junior in high school. So I only had a one year to prepare my portfolio. And they required heavy figure drawing in portfolio. So I think I, I was 16 back then, but I started drawing figures and new drawings and taking classes at college. And I went to portfolio review at CalArts. I remember there was like a big day for, in terms of, you know, a lot of colleagues gather. And it happened to be a CalArts, and they they were offering a portfolio review for high school students. I was fortunate to get reviewed by CalArts, and I was recommended to have some more animal drawings. So I start drawing animals from videos and photography. So when I was applying CalArts back then, it was two thousand. They were only required to have students turning only um, the actual real work, not the photograph slides. So I think I made really big portfolio myself. And then I just added all my drawings, all my animal drawings, all my figure drawings. And back then I made, I had one comic book I made. So I put that in and especially I think it helped that I put every single sketchbook I've done during that one year. So I I think I added like five or six sketchbooks inside the portfolio. That's a great deal of work. And that's very impressive that, you know, you decided your junior year and then right after high school you got in. So that's essentially as much as you could possibly compress 
into a two-year span of time and you did it. So that's very inspiring for anyone out there in high school who's wondering, can I do this? Yes, you can. <laughs> but, so you, you know, let me be hard. honest with you that I don't think it was because of my skill was great or my talent uh, was great. When on my freshman year at Colors, all my best friends always asked me, Steve, how did you get in? Your drawings are that strong. How did you make it in? And, you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I think faculty. Your own friends will be honest. <laughs> They're like, wait a minute. Why are you here, man? <laughs> yeah. You know, I totally understood them. And I still think that I wasn't that great back then. I think all the faculties back then, they when they looked at my portfolio, I think they saw my... They probably didn't see my drawing skills, but they probably saw my the amount of work that I put during that one year. So I feel like they probably gave me a chance because they saw the potential because of my work ethic rather than potential from skill. So, yeah, I, but, you know, it was, I really appreciate that I was able to get into this great school, CalArts. Hearing what you just said there, I know you're right for that, because I'm sure they probably looked at that and said, well, if he's willing to do this much work, he will get to the level that he'll need to be at in order to work well in the industry, just by the sheer volume and time he's willing to put into it. So that, that makes a lot of sense. And while you were there, is that when you decided that you wanted to go, did you know that you wanted to do storyboarding in particular? Or was it more of, I just want to see everything that's involved and I'll just figure it out from there? So I think I was too young because I got into college when I was 18. And I only had the one year of experiencing art and drawing. And it was such a quick decision to be an artist. So back then, I don't think I was ready for anything. Because even thinking about animation, at the first day of the animation class, I learned what I'm going to be learning next four years. Before then, I had no idea what I was, what I'm going to learn from CalArts program. So it was kind of very fortunate that it worked out for me eventually. But back then, I had absolutely no idea what I was going to be. Back then, my English skill wasn't that great. So I always thought myself, I want to be a 2D animator because I don't get to say anything. I just... I just sit down and draw and just probably other people who speak better language will just tell me what to do. And I never, I was always scared that I'll probably never be a storyboard artist because it involves dialogues, language, script. And I always thought myself, I'll never become a director. I'll never be ready to say something to my artist, do something or something giving a direction. So back then, I just focused on 2D animation and I just animated every day. And I think also because my drawing skill back then wasn't great. So I think I was 
trying to overcome my weakness through making a great animation. That is really interesting how you essentially channeled your concern and your fear from coming from another country over here and, and wanting to communicate with people and just channeled that through your art. So you put a lot of effort into working on your story words, into being able to convey an idea. So how then were you able to get your very first job in the industry? I have to begin my story from CalArts, actually. So during CalArts, from 2000 to 2004, I think I was the probably one of one or two students who loved anime. And I was the, probably only one who draws anime. And meanwhile, every Colors students loved. Back then, Pixar was rising, but Disney was, 2D animation was kind of declining. It was a very dramatic, transitional time back then because 3D was rising and the industry doesn't need 2D animation anymore and 2D animator anymore. So I was, I had absolutely no idea what I was going to be because I love anime, but there's no such opportunity in this American industry. And I love to be a 2D animator, but there's no job in 2D animation. I believe it was 2002 or 2003, Disney 2D animation literally shut down. You know, every animator got laid off back then. And I think economy, you know, dot-com bubble happened. So economy wasn't doing great. Entertainment industry back then in animation wasn't that great. So when I graduated, it was really hard to find a job. And especially for my skill set, there was no way to find any, you know, dream job I want to have. So I actually had a two years of downtime where I was, technically I was unemployed from this entertainment industry, but, you know, I was doing a part-time job here and there. And so if you ask me, if you're, you know, wondering about, you know, then how did I begin my career? I actually worked at very, as a freelance flash animation for this small internet company called Animax Entertainment. They, I don't think they exist anymore. And I interned at very small, back then, I interned at a chip jab. Uh, it's the you know in, internet contents company based in Santa Monica. So I had a two years of downtime and I slowly gained freelancing and interning at Flash Animation Company. And that's how I uh, began my uh, animation life. Um, I think I was 24 or 25. How did you stay on course and stay encouraged with that? Because I've spoken to a couple other people who graduated at the same time you did, and they had aspirations of being 2D animators at well at Disney and... It was heartbreaking for them to literally watch the industry just fold in on itself while they were in school. So, and that seemed like that was happening to you too. So how were you, how did you press on and decide 
you know what, I'm going to do this anyway. I think it was probably darkest hours in my life. <laughs> Every day I was so discouraged and just playing guitar in my room, like, oh, what I'm going to do with my life, you know? But I think I never, I think I, I always believe that I will be an animator someday. So I, I had to keep, you know, constantly drawing and maintaining my skill and trying to improve and, you know, trying to submit the portfolio to companies. I mean, I always got the rejection letters, but you know, just keep trying and trying. And I think because my skill back then wasn't, because I, I wasn't experienced animator. I was, you know, new guy right after college. So instead of aiming high with, you know, higher brand companies, I think looking for small companies, I think that was the good decision, good route to pursue back then. That makes a lot of sense. Go for the smaller places, build up your skills, build up your credits, get to know people, and then just work your way up from there. And work your way up, you did, because you have worked at this point, you've worked for Nickelodeon, Cartoon Network, Marvel, you know, and now DreamWorks. So... Next question here is, so as you've worked on different shows and different studios, how have you adapted, you know, your methods of working and your style so that you can work on these different shows and work with people with different personalities? So, you know, I was sharing that CalArts back then, I had a fear that, you know, I will probably never be able to storyboard or directing and I had a fear that because I love anime, and back then, Keller's people hated anime, and they didn't consider it as an art or filmmaking. I had a f fear that, you know, I will never be able to do what I love to do. And I thought, you know, I'll probably have to adjust whatever this environment, whatever these people demand in terms of artistic way and such and so. But deep in my heart, I had a craving that, oh, I want to be a director. I want to be a storyboard artist because I have a story that I want to tell. And I had a, like a craving that anime genre is such a good style that works for any genres like thriller or horror or action adventure not just a comedy or sitcom you know it the artistic style of anime works for any genre i think that was the biggest thing that i favorite anime so even after i got the job working for small projects and going step by step going into bigger projects. So probably first half of my career, I worked on American sitcoms like Cleveland Show or A Good Family, Slacker Cats. It was a good experience and building experience and building network 
It was so great. But during working on the American style of comedy and cartoon shows, you know, I always had a craving still that, you know, someday I want to draw my artistic skill and my career path to something else than just, you know, making laugh every day at work. I think biggest challenge back then was coming from The Legend of Korra. Uh, when I first looked at The Legend of Korra, I had so much craving that, oh, someday I want to work on this. And back then I was able to travel to you know South Korea and visit many studios. So I visited you know Mirror Animation Studio. And they were working on season one of Legend of Korra. And it just when I when I saw them working on it, I was able to hear my what my soul craving is telling me that this is what I want to make and this is what I'm made for. So after I came back to America, I literally quit my job at Fox TV Animation. I remember it was a Thursday morning. I told my director I quit. And then I started building my skill from general, taking like freelance from general Rex, trying to like build some career in action adventure shows. So general Rex, Ben 10, and then I eventually got hired at Ben 10 Omniverse as a full-time storyboard artist. So it was such a drastic change from drawing like a family guy cartoon drawings to storytelling through a very realistic cinematic genre in action adventure shows. So, you know, it took me, I had to train myself again. Basically every, I have few like Korean, in Japanese, you know, we call senpai, in Korean, sanbennim. Uh, I have few like Korean elders who kind of mentor me. So I was kind of fortunate to meet a few of great Korean animators who have experience making anime in Japan and Korea. And they taught me a lot of things, how to make a good anime show and action shows and how to improve my drawing. So I think first two and three years, I put myself on the training period. So it eventually gave me a chance to be part of, you know, Legend of Korra season three, I mean, book three. And it worked out well so far that I was able to move on to great projects in action genre. That is amazing that you took this step to just decide, you know what, this is what I'm going to do and I'm just going to go for it and do it. Because a lot of times we get stuck by fear, we're like, oh, I want to do that, but it's scary or it's hard. I'll just stay where I'm at. And you you just decided, no, that's what I want to do. And you, you found mentors and you quit your job and you put yourself on a regiment to get yourself there. That's very impressive. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I think I was fortunate to meet many great mentors and without them i probably wasn't able to learn many good things 
of making, you know, anime filmmaking. How did you find your mentors? Probably Korean Network. <laughs> I think first director, I kind of knew him, but not so much closely. But I just asked him, I want to be, I want to learn. So I asked him, you know, to train me and teach me things. So that's how I began. And my director at Ben 10, his name is Jay Kim. You know, he's a great artist from Iron Giant. And he knows a lot of deep level of filmmaking in anime. So he taught me a lot of things in storyboarding. And definitely supervising director Ryu from Legend of Korra. You know, he, he harshly challenged me and inspired me in drawing and artistic skill-wise. And there were a lot of great artists. As I move on to, you know, project to project, I was able to meet, you know, many great friends and artists who have great experience in, in this area. So, for example, Joaquim Dos Santos from Legend of Korra and Lauren Montgomery from Legend of Korra. I mean, they're both executive showrunners at Voltron. And just looking at their work inspires you and just pushes you to get trained and to aim more, to reach more. So I think I was fortunate to meet those Korean, you know, mentors and I was able to be surrounded by many great artists and who already have had experiences and great artistic uh, skills. So I think that kind of pushed me and draw me more to learn more and to train more. What were some of the specifics that they trained you on and that they encouraged you to practice? So because from Calars, my drawings were very cartoony, even though I tried to draw anime, because my style is very, is good enough to draw cartoon shows or sitcoms, but action-adventure show like Korra or Ninja Turtles or Benten, they require a very cinematic filmmaking mind. And as a drawing-wise, it requires very realistic. You have to know how the anatomy works and how the figure works in different poses and all that. And especially even the expressions have to be very realistically precise. Otherwise it turns out goofy expressions. So I learned how to be exact and precise on drawing, drawing realistic and people and characters and storytelling through, you know, cinematic filmmaking mind. So I think I was very challenged to study many great anime. So personally, I really favorite most of Gainax Studios, you know, works. So, you know, frame by frame, I studied how the direction worked in sequence, storytelling, and drawing. And I think my Korean mentors, they were very honest that, 
if I don't draw well, like they tell me, they told me it's not good. So I think it pushed me always harder and harder. And as I learned more and more, I think I was, because I know what I want to do eventually. And I was very, uh, I think I was enjoying learning and seeing myself improving. And I think I knew the direction where I'm heading in terms of learning wise. I wanted to be trained right direction where I could reach enough that I could tell my story through this filmmaking. So usually drawing and cinematic, I was very challenged by mentors. That is fantastic. And it's fantastic that you took their advice because I know sometimes that it's hard to take criticism, even constructive criticism from people that have been in the industry and they know what they're doing. Sometimes when you hear that, you know, it hurts, but it's true. <laughs> I mean, they're only telling you that because they want you to get better. So this is a very funny story. I'm not going to say your name, but one of the mentor, we were having, I think he was having a lot of drinking at the bar and I happened to be there hanging out with other you know, also other friends, and he was so drunk. You know, I'm talking about my mentor. He was so drunk, and but he was very blunt back then. Like he was telling me, "Steve, your your drawing is really, really, really terrible." Oh no! <laughs> He's like, now that I'm drunk and I have no so, inhibition, I can tell you how I think. I think back then, I mean, some way it hurts, but. If you, I'm sure you probably understand this. As an artist, like if you have lack of knowledge in art, you feel like you know everything. But as an artist, you learn more and more. And more knowing makes you humble and just know where you are at. So I think back then it was hurting, but... When I think about it right now, it was a good thing that I didn't take it as a, you know, harsh critic, but I took it as a wisdom that I shall need to train myself. So, you know, even if people tell you bad things about your work, just take them as wisdom, you know, take it as a wise encouragement. If they tell you your work is, is bad, just take, you know, just go work harder. And that criticism will actually become a nourish to your improvement. You know what I mean? That is the best advice on constructive criticism I have ever heard. I have, <laughs> that is great. And I have to admit, I have not always taken it that way. But I will start now because that is that is very true because they're only telling you because they see they see it. They see where you need to be in order to get to where you want to go. Right. And it's not something that you can see yet because you're not yet at that point. So let's talk about Voltron then, because your work with, you know, like you said, Ben 10 and Generator Rex, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Legend of Korra. 
you learned a great deal from your mentors working on those shows. And those are very action adventure shows. And they're all excellent shows. I mean, I particularly love Generator X and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Those shows are fantastic. And I know that those led you to be able to work on Voltron. And this show, I must say, is a resounding success. I love the show. I know that all the listeners love the show. The reviews from everyone from NPR to the LA Times to io9 have been nothing short of fantastic. It's got a 8.4 on IMDb. There are thousands of fan posts on Instagram and Tumblr and Twitter every single day. And when I went to the premiere over at DreamWorks, I mean, people were cheering at the end of the show. So I want to know just from your own experience, how does that make you and your team feel? I imagine y'all must be over the moon about this show. So first of all, I really appreciate your compliments. And I was really, really, just like you mentioned, I was really, really happy to see the response from many press, medias, and fans. And every single artists at our team, you know, we were very, you know, excited and encouraged by, you know, all these compliments. And because it, we worked about, I think I worked close to a couple years on Voltron and with my, you know, team Voltron crew. So it felt like we were seeing a light finally after a long, dark tunnel. So it felt really great. We absolutely just flattered by all these positive response on social medias and, you know, at the Voltron panel at WonderCon. So we're very excited and we are very encouraged. That is excellent. And I wanted to know, with this show, you got to fulfill one of your dreams that you've been, you know, we've been talking about, which was not only to be a storyboard artist, but also to be, you know, an animation director. So let's talk mm -hmm. about that. How did you get to become a director on Voltron? So I worked as a assistant director on Legend of Korra. And back then, my bosses were also Joaquin Dos Santos and Lauren Montgomery from Voltron. So after the show ended, Joaquin contacted me if I'm be willing to direct on a show called Voltron Legendary Defender. So I say, heck yeah, I'd love to do that. So I was fortunate because I think it's because of the previous experience on Legend of Korra. I think they asked me to get back to the same team again. So... I really appreciate to them for giving me a chance to direct. Now that you're in the director's chair and you mentioned that you were assistant director on Cora, what are some of the challenges now of directing a team of people versus being a storyboard artist and just being responsible for your part of the show? I think as a storyboard artist, I think it wasn't my job to see and forecast the big picture. But as a director, I have to look at the big picture, especially, you know, for example, when I direct an episode from beginning to the end, I try to picture everything in my head and I try to manage, make sure that board artist is, you know, their work is driven 
to that big picture I'm having. So definitely it's more challenging than working as a storyboard artist. But on the other hand, it's very fun, thrilling job that you can give a direction on, on storytelling through this film scenes. So you take a control of this story arc and you take a control of this character arc. You make sure, try to storytell through artistic way also, but also conveying a lot of subtext from dialogues and, you know, scenes, scene designs. So it's very fun. I love it. That is great. And you mentioned directing your team. And I was curious, too, because you talked about, and this is something I don't know if people think about this, but you're right. It does take a, a long time for show to go to air. And you all spent years working and crafting the show. So during that time when you were working on the show and you were just in that dark tunnel, how did you motivate your team when things were going crazy or when maybe stories weren't quite coming together the way that y'all wanted them to? We had a quite different environment than the other show or other production teams, especially for my team. All my board artists were at Mir Studio in South Korea. So there wasn't much interaction between me and them in person. I think other hand, it was pretty easy because I never see them. It was pretty easy for me just to write notes on script and board in Korean language and they just follow. So <laughs> it was, I think as a first directing gig, I think I was fortunate to have that luxury that I could just write things and they, they just follow. I didn't have to deal with any teamwork or... <laughs> Or managing their emotions. <laughs> <laughs> so, nope, they, they dealt with that on their own. And you could just say, here are your notes. Yeah. Go for it. So I think it was good experience for me. I was fortunate that I had overseas team as my first directing episode. And is that typical in the industry now to have both an overseas storyboard team as well as a team here in the States, or is that just like a new model that's going forth with animation? I think because most of animation studios are big corporation. So using overseas team is kind of, it has been that way, like a system wise. I think since after 2D animation just collapsed, an economy collapse. I think they were trying to find a way to squeeze the budget. And so I think it's, I mean, it depends on which company you go to or which show or which project you are in, but it's definitely one of usual system we see now these days in animation production. So we see a lot of pre-production and post-production here. And definitely all the productions are overseas. You know, there are rare cases, but most of shows are made by foreign countries. And these days, you know, for example, Storyboard, 
if you like Canada or Australia, those countries who speak English, there are cases that they take pre-production too. So it's kind of, you know, I want to say, I don't know if it's good or bad, but definitely not good to create more jobs here in America. And I think there are pros and cons. So, I mean, I'm not a businessman, so I I don't quite know 100% sure what, how that's happening and how it's affecting the industry. But it has been that way for a while. All right. So we had a, a couple of listener questions. So a couple of fans of a, uh... Voltron right. and of your work wanted to ask you a couple of questions about really? your process and technique. Yes. So the f- at all. <laughs> yeah. So the first one is from Ellen. So Ellen wanted to know if the storyboarding process is different for scenes involving both 2D characters and 3D characters. And their example was, you know, the 2D characters like Shiro and Pidge and Punk versus, you know, when they're in scenes where they're with, you know, the 3D lines, if there's a, a difference in how you guys storyboard that or not. So storyboarding for 2D animation and 3D animation, there are not much difference. So I think all the board artists or even me, we just storyboard as the way that we've been doing it. You know, I don't think genre or medium matters. I think there are just few difference in technical way. So when you work on full 3D animation, because of background is limited in terms of making a model, sometimes there are limited choices of choosing shots. But for 2D, usually it's more broad. You have more freedom in terms of making a camera lens or you know layout and perspective on the background so there are like few technical difficulties makes board artists kind of be aware before they choose your shot and they before they storyboard so i think working on voltron i think we didn't really when we use storyboard there were some few difficulties in technical issues but I think usually there were, it was kind of easy just to move on and just execute what I, our ideas onto storyboards. All right. Very good. All right. So then Gio wanted to know, what is your technique or process for making a sequence dynamic? You wanted to know if you chose key angles first or if it was a straight ahead process or just trial and error. Sometimes people thumbnail first, you know, to execute the rough ideas, right? For me, I usually try not to thumbnail. And the reason is because, you know, if you look at live action, you know, directors or commercial or TV drama or even the movie, sometimes there are storyboards and sometimes there are not. And usually they are all coming from directors that, uh, to shoot the film. But actually 
even though they don't have a storyboard, they have a list of story bits and list of scenes they need to hit for sure. And I think when I look at my script, I usually not to try to thumbnail visually first. I try to break down the story bits that I need to hit. And when I make the list, when I first make the list in words, and I choose a shot angle based on on the each story bit. So, so I think after getting used to doing that, just looking at the list of story bits, I know it's kind of easy to picture the shot that you want. And it's also because of lack of, you know, good schedule in, you know, storyboard deadline. So I try to, you know, clean up right away. You know, I try to execute my boards, my story onto storyboards right away. So it's kind of unusual probably compared to other animation shows or other animation class that you probably took. But yeah, that's how I do it. (laughs) Excellent. And then finally, Logan wanted to know, what are the challenges of directing a series with such an ensemble cast? He was curious as far as, uh, you know, because there's a lot of different characters. You know, you have each Mm -hmm. of the, you know, each of the paladins. You have the princess. You have her assistant. You have, you know, all the villains and, you know, the voice actors and whatnot. So he was wondering if there are any specific challenges with directing that many people. So... For example, Legend of Korra had so many characters. And usually, I don't know why, but many action shows these days have a lot of characters. If you look at Avengers or even Ninja Turtles, you know, you know there are four turtles always hanging out with each other. So the challenge is usually how am I going to track down everyone's emotion, everyone's arc, everyone's goal and never lose any of them during storytelling. So it's important to track down you know, each character's arc and their subtext in their mind and thoughts. You know, what are they thinking even though there's no line? What you know what's what's the thought process they are going through through this story? You know, what are they gaining through these events? You know, what are they losing from these events? What, what's the cause and what's the result on their decisions and emotions? Like, you have to track down, like, every character's. It's a lot, but, you know, you got to do it. Excellent. So now let's move on to a different track here. So you created an online storyboard workshop called the Action-Adventure Cinematic Storyboard Online Workshop. And that's mm-hmm. actually how I first came to know who you were, I had a couple of friends who took this course and raved about it. It's really great. You're offering an audit version now. So uh, tell us why you decided to create this class. So the reason I made a class is because to be honest, it is really, really hard to find a good storyboard artist who specializes in, you know, action adventure, you know, shows. 
the storyboard artists who are trained to storytell a more realistic story, more realistic characters, and more realistic, non-cartoony style of genre. So it is really hard to find. That's what I have felt. And actually, whenever I meet other directors from other action shows, you know, they share the same thing. It's very hard to find people who are really good on action, adventure, cinematic storytelling. Um, so that's kind of why I made that class. And there's not many classes offer that. And I thought about actually going to offline school and teach, but I thought, you know, outside of California, there are probably many, you know, young people who, who need, you know, who have no access to, you know, to storyboard class or animation class in, in their town or state. So I thought, Maybe going online will probably reach out more passionate young artists who are out there and who so much potential, but just waiting someone to, you know, help them. So that's why I made that class online. So it's basically, it's probably the class that is probably different than what you learn from CalArts or what you learn from storyboard other storyboard class who because most of American storyboarding class is about you know acting and emotion and character drawing more feature film and how to be funnier and how to be goofier you know cartoon style and even though action genres are kind of minor genre in America I thought it would be great I thought maybe, you know, I could share my experience while I learned from my mentors and, you know, all these great shows. So, yeah, that's that's why I offer the class to students. So my class is basically teaching very a heavily cinematic way of storytelling through camera lens and through composition in shot design and all that. That is excellent. And your course, you offer eight video lessons. People have plenty of time to be able to watch and rewatch the lessons. And you talk about a variety of different topics, including staging and perspective. And I'll have a link in the show notes so that all of you out there will get a chance to take a look at it. And it's very affordable. You know, college can be very expensive. And this online course it's a very affordable cost, so you guys should definitely check that out. And I also noticed, too, that you have a sketchbook online that you're selling, and the proceeds go to a wonderful charity called the Green Umbrella Child Fund Korea. And I wanted to know if you could talk more about that, because that sounds like a very worthy cause. So thanks for bringing that up. I, I think... Because growing up in South Korea probably brought me huge affection to Korean kids because I've been there and I lived in many countryside cities, just living not in a great 
luxury or rich condition, but you know, probably just middle class or just living there with full of dream. And I kind of wanted to help them somehow. So I kind of made a sketchbook with all the artwork that I drew outside of work. So, you know, I'm happy to offer my personal artworks and I'm happy to offer all the profit goes to help those Korean kids who are in needs. So Green Umbrella, Child Fund Korea, they're really amazing organization, nonprofit organization in South Korea. And they help all those South Korean kids and also international kids who are in immediate attention and who those, those kids who require financial and care and support in education also. So it has been really great. I thought selling this, you know, few dollar sketchbook wouldn't make much difference. But, you know, so far, thanks to many people out there who bought my sketchbook, I really, really do appreciate that. I was really blown away by everyone's generosity. So I was able to help these you know, a couple of kids and, you know, I'm looking for to expand the charity more to support more kids. So for those who bought my sketchbook, I really appreciate. I thank you and thank you. And I hope to continue to do this because, you know, my personal artwork, I made them for free. So I'm, I'm willing to give them free for these children. So hopefully... It goes well. It continues to do well. Well, that is a wonderful cause. And listeners, you'll definitely want to pick up a copy of Steve's sketchbook because not only is it great, but you're helping a child from another country, which is a very wonderful thing. So thank you, Steve, for doing that. That is great. And I'll make sure to include a link so that people can check that out and support. And finally, I just want to know, you know, you've done a lot of amazing things. You know, you've been a storyboard artist, you've been a director, you're helping out with charity, you've inspired a lot of people. And I just want to know, do you have any parting advice for anyone out there who they may just be starting out in their career, or they might be in the middle of their career and wanting to change? What advice do you have for them? I see people who had the courage to decide they're going to make an independent film. And then when the film is done, when it comes to marketing, suddenly they, they lose all their courage. They had the courage to do it themselves. But then when it comes to marketing, they lost faith and they lost courage and they just try to find a deal, like cheap deal to to market their film through corporate or like basically they try to find the help instead of, you know, they try to market it themselves. So the reason I share this story is because I think it has some, I think we artists can relate to this. Like we had a great chorus to to decide that, you know, I'm going to be an artist and I'm going to make that and that and that'll be my art. 
But then suddenly after college graduation and when it comes to like uh, finding a job, when it comes to like continuing your employment at small or big company, you just lose. I see a lot of people lose that courage and you just become an artist that the studio or your environment wants to be rather than the artist that you want it to be. I had a very similar experience. No one cared anime filmmaking when I was studying animation. and But I had a craving. And I think I want to advise that if you have a specific... I'm sure you have a very specific craving you have. The artistic direction that you want to take and the artist that you want to be. And it's a journey, so please continue that no matter what the industry, you know, says to you, no matter, you know, how others think of your art. So just keep growing. You need to grow and you need to improve and you need to uh, learn and experience, and but never lose that courage that that you had in the beginning. I think that's very important. If I had no courage to quit my job at Fox and just change my genre in storyboards, and if I had no courage to to get out of my comfort Korean speaking zone to and step out to this mainstream you know, American mainstream, I probably didn't become what I am right now. So listen to your craving and never lose a courage, whether it doesn't, it makes money or it doesn't make money, whether it makes you famous or it doesn't make you famous, it doesn't matter. What matters is, can you fulfill that craving you have in your journey? So I really want to encourage that. Well, Steve, that is wonderful advice. And I hope that all of you out there take that to heart because it can be really tough out there. And I, I like everything that you said about just keep going and don't quit and just keep improving and just work on what you need to work on. Yeah. Take that risk, you know, because like you said, you took that, you know, you had, you're at Fox, you had a job and you decided, you know what, but that's not my dream. I'm going to step out and take this risk. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that is great. So Steve, you have been a wonderful guest and very generous with your time. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. No, uh, it's my pleasure. And and just thank you for this opportunity and thank you for all the kind uh, lead uh, on this conversation. And uh, yeah, I, I appreciate. Absolutely. And thank you. I mean, I appreciate you coming on the show. I really do because I really enjoy your work. Your work is solid. It's very good and you're very helpful and you're very kind. I had a chance to read, you know, on your Tumblr page, especially you post a lot of awesome clips of, you know, here's what I'm working on and here's how I did it. 
and you answer people's questions and you've really helped to demystify just how all of this works. And I know that, you know, that's the reason why Scotland and Kelly wanted to take your class and why they told me his class is great. You know, this is a really good class. And that's the reason why I wanted to talk to you because I saw your work and I thought, this guy's amazing. I need to see if he would like to be on the show because he sounds like a really interesting person who has a, a really good story about his life and what's going on. So that's what I meant to ask you. I forgot to yeah. ask you about that. Are you working on any, do you have any uh, personal projects that you're working on that you want to let anybody know about? So it has been my 10 years working in animation industry. Uh, I've been working as a storyboard artist. So, which means all my work is not my property, but still I wanted to share something. So on this coming September, I'm doing a gallery show with my personal work just to personally, I'm doing it just to tell myself that it's been 10 years, just encourage myself. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm doing my personal artwork lately for the show upcoming uh, this last week of September. That's great. What gallery is it going to be on? Or be uh, at? It's going to be at Eagle Rock Pop Secret Gallery. Oh, nice. Okay, that's a nice yeah. gallery. I'm doing like a group show with a couple other friends at DreamWorks, but it'll be very focus on individual personal pieces. So yeah, I'm, I'm very excited for that. I'm working really hard lately. Just try to make that happen. Great. Do you have a, a day and time for the show yet? Or is that as you get closer to the date, you know exactly when at the end of September? So my gallery show will be on September 24th. It's going to be Saturday evening. That will be my opening reception day. And the show is going to be on, at least, I believe it will be on at least a week at Pop Secret Gallery at Eagle Rock. Excellent. Well, you heard it here, folks. September 24th, mark it off on your calendar. Make a trip. If you're not in California, now you know when you should come down to California to see this. You'll get a chance to see Steve's work and some of his fellow uh, DreamWorks artists. That sounds really great. Thank you. Well, again, Steve, thank you so much. I know that you had a full day at work, and thank you so much for taking time out thank of your you, evening. Thank you, Thank you for uh, this opportunity. And that concludes today's interview. Special thanks again to Steve for being such an awesome guest, and make sure to check out all of his websites in the show notes, as well as at www.theanimatedjourney.com. And especially, make sure to check out his storyboard class, as well as his sketchbook. His sketchbook is phenomenal, and again, all of the proceeds go to a wonderful cause. And for all of you storyboard artists, or anybody who is interested in story, make sure to check out his course. It's really good. I know a couple of people who have taken it. It's highly recommended, so make sure to check that out. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, please make sure to leave a review in iTunes. All of your reviews help more and more people to find out about the show. And thank you so much to everyone who has left a positive review so far. I greatly appreciate it. 
And if you would like to donate directly to the show, you can visit www.theanimatedjourney.com and click on the PayPal donate button on the right hand side. Every little bit helps to keep the show up and running with web hosting costs. And I greatly appreciate everyone who has donated to the show. It means a lot to me. And also make sure to check out all the show sponsors, Amazon, Audible, Loot Crate, and Blueberry Podcast Hosting. I have banner ads on the right-hand side of the website so you can check out all of our sponsors. And when you click on the links to our sponsors and do your regularly scheduled shopping, a little bit of money comes back to the show. So you can also support the show in that way. And to find out what's going on in the animation community with events going on around town, news, film reviews, all of those wonderful things, you can become a fan on Facebook by visiting www.facebook.com slash The Animated Journey. You can follow the show on Twitter at Anim Journey, on Instagram at Anim Journey, and you can also check out the Tumblr page, which is www.theanimatedjourney.tumblr.com. And if you want to see what I've been up to lately, you can check out my website, www.sketchysoul.com. On Twitter, you can follow me at sketchysoul, on Instagram, it's at sketchy underscore soul. And on Tumblr, it's www.sketchysoul.tumblr.com. So thank you everyone for listening. And as always, be encouraged and have a great day, everybody. Bye.